guys sound pretty amazing. When I'm actually not singing, probably louder than these guys up here, I could hear you guys in the background, or maybe it's just Suzanne singing in my ear back there. But you guys sounded pretty amazing, man. Uh, well, we have come to the end of the book of Acts. It's, uh, we've covered it in, uh, I, I counted um, how many how long we've been on there. I told you guys last, last week, it was January of 2019 that we opened it up, but we've, we've covered it in 64 studies. So I think, I hope we've done it our due diligence. And so for the last time, open your Bibles to the book of Acts and join me in our 65th study as we close off the book of Acts. So Acts 28 and we will be finishing. Now, I don't know about you, last week, as we covered this chapter in chapter 27, I don't know if a little of you guys, a uh, few of you guys maybe got a little seasick um, through the whole voyage that we were on, because that was pretty radical, right? Um, but, uh, you know, we joined Paul, his passenger, the passengers and the crew on this crazy voyage on the high seas. Um, we left them as they had run aground on an island, and they all escaped safely to land. It told us that. And so that's where we pick up, and we're going to finish chapter 28 this morning. Let's read the first 10 verses. It says, Now when they had escaped, they, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed them unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to, allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and no harm came to him, they changed their minds and said, he is a god. In that region, there was an estate of a leading of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, 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 who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went to, into him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of, the, of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. And they honored us in many ways. And when, the, when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. If you remember, 
last week, the Lord had sent an angel in the middle of the storm to remind Paul that he would make it to Rome. Again, that must have been quite a comfort to him in the middle of this situation, that you're still going to get to your destination. He had also told him in that vision through the angel that indeed God had granted him all those who sailed with him and that not a hair will fall from the head of any of them. And I think that was just during that time because they could have gotten bald later on. But for that moment, it was such an assurance that not even a hair, and I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you guys take showers and baths, but you see hair all the time. This particular, not one hair of all those 200 and some people that were with her were going to lose any of it. I truly believe that not one hair was lost. That, uh, anyway, I, I can get... But they had to obey the directions that the Lord had given Paul, and they did, and they all escaped. And it tells us here that that they had all escaped safely. So now they were safe, thoroughly safe, or saved thoroughly, preserved, rescued, made perfectly whole, is what the word escaped means in the Strong's Concordance. When they had all escaped, they were fine. They were good. And then they found out that the the island that they were actually on was called Malta. They were now shipwrecked for Paul's fourth shipwreck. The fourth one. But they are now on this island and all of them are safe. This small little island, Malta, means refuge. What an appropriate name. Which is about 60 miles south of Sicily. So again, you can get your maps out and start looking at where these guys are at. They're 60 miles south of of Sicily. Malta apparently had some good harbors, which at the time they did not realize or had gotten to, been able to get to. But it was an ideal location, the small island, for trade. And for two weeks in the storm, they had been carried off like 600 miles off course, basically, from, from Fair Havens, where they took off from on, in Crete. So about 600 miles they went west and landed in this little island in the middle of nowhere, it seems like, but they had been adrift for two weeks. And so when they landed there, they're all safe. It says, and the natives showed them unusual kindness. The word native or islander in some translations in the Greek is barbaos, barbaos, a foreigner, i.e., non-Greek, a barbarian, barbarious in the old King James. And, and this happens to be a term that, is, that refers to those who are non-Greek speaking people. It doesn't mean that they're savages or uncultured. As, as some, sometimes we get that, that mindset, oh, those guys are barbarians. Almost like Neanderthals or something like that. It's like, ugh, you know, type stuff. No, it just means 
that their civilization was not Greek-oriented. That's the only difference. But that's what that word, these natives, mean, barbarians. If anything, (laughs) these barbarians, (laughs) these natives, they showed them unusual kindness, hospitality. Hospitality is what they showed these guys. Again, they've probably seen the ship out there. They see these guys huddled together and they came and they took care of them. All 276 victims of this shipwreck. And now that the storm seems to have subsided and the weather is rainy and cold, these natives built the fire for them. And they welcomed them. And they did what they had to do and they gave it their best to feel these guys, to make these guys feel comfortable. I love that. I love that. That, 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 that you and I would be those kinds of barbarians. <laughs> no, not barbarians. But that we would be those kinds of people that we would always want to, f- to make other people feel welcome. Again, in your home, at your job, but especially if you come into this church, if you call this place your church, that some people come in, you the barbarians um, of Calvary Chapel, the natives of Calvary Chapel. I'm going to call you guys barbarians this whole time. <laughs> no, I won't, I won't. But that we would show that kind of hospitality. That we would be the ones that reach out. That we would be the ones that make other people feel comfortable. Some of them are coming in and they're scared. They're shipwrecked in their lives. That when they come here, we might be able to go, here, come and sit, man. Let me make your life a little comfortable. Want some coffee? You know, want some water? You know, however the case is that we would be that kind of people, making other people feel comfortable. Now, it's interesting because in verse 3, it says, And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them in the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. As all of this is going on, as, as, as they're making their life comfortable for, for, for them, Paul, because of all the stuff that has happened, Paul could have easily just insisted that everybody serve him. Because after all, you guys are all saved. You've not lost a hair on your head because of me. Because God ministered to me. I'm the, one, the only reason why you're still alive today. Serve me. You are safe and sound because of me. That's not what he does. I, I love the fact that instead of saying, hey, It is because of me that you're in this place. I love the fact that instead, he did his share of the work. He helped gather fuel for the fire. You see, there was no task too small for Paul, who happened to be a servant of God. What an example, right? For those who have the mind of Christ, that we would never think that something is too too under us. Any of us. I love what Jesus said, and Paul, again, I'm sure reminded of that. I did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give my life a ransom for many. And Paul would continue to do that. Paul was a servant of God, and he never forgot that. 
no matter who he was, no matter because of what situation he might be in, that he could ask other people, hey, you owe me. He didn't do that. Now, we could understand that because of the weather, how it was cold and rainy, that a snake would become stiff or somewhat lethargic, if you will. The Amplified calls this snake, this viper, a little animal, a small creature. So you could see how, how this small little viper was you know, kind of mixed up in, in these sticks that he's gathering, these, this kindling. And so he, he, he gathers this, this wood, just so happens that there's this little snake in there, a little poisonous snake, a little viper. And as he throws them into the fire, the heat was on. <laughs> and that little viper warmed up quickly. So much so that he became very active, that he leaped out and grabbed the first thing that he could was his hand. And you know what they say about little vipers? Man, that's a little viper. <laughs> that they can be very poisonous, right? <laughs> but he fastened onto his hand, and the natives, and you got to love the natives here, because again... They, they have seen stuff like this before. I don't think this is the first time that they've seen a viper bite someone. And they've seen the consequences of that happening. And so you've got to love these guys because their superstitions have said, well, of course, this guy's going to die. And maybe it's not their superstitions. They've seen it done. This guy, and, and their conclusion is, he's a murderer. <laughs> not like he stole something. Nope. He's a murderer, and justice has not allowed him to live. It's interesting because justice happened to be one of their goddesses. The, 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 the goddess of justice has not... And, and, and so they figured that, that he had to be this notorious kind of prisoner because he escaped the sea, but he came onto land... And, and justice, karma, whatever you want to call it, is like it's getting him, man. He, he cheated death, but not now. Not now. It says, however, where am I at? Somewhere around. Verse 6. However, they were expecting that he would swell up and suddenly fall down dead. When Paul was unaffected by this little viper bite and didn't swell up, not even his hand probably swelled up because they, they would have, they probably were like, yep, it's starting. I don't believe any of his body swelled up in any way, shape, or form. And so because of that, again, you've got to love them. They went from this notorious murderer, probably, <laughs> to this guy must be a god. And, and, and again, you see their superstitions there. You know, this guy must be someone who, who's not affected by poison, by anything like that. And, and you could imagine that his response was that of back in chapter 14, when, when Paul and Barnabas were in Lystra, and, and there's one guy who had, been, who had been lame all his life, and they touch him and they heal him. And, you know, all of a sudden, they want to make them gods. 
Oh, that must be Zeus, Zeus and, and um, Hermes. And Paul and, and Barnabas are going, guys, guys, knock that off. We're just men, just like everybody else. So I'm sure that that's what they're telling these guys, guys. Or he's telling them, I'm just a guy just like you guys. God just touched it, healed it. So in verse 7, he says, in that region, there was an estate by a leading citizen of the island. Paul and the whole party, all 276 of them, were invited to this estate for three days of these, this leading citizen, this head man, this official of the island, one of the chief officials, and he he, he brought them in, welcomed them in, and it says that he basically entertained them courteously for three days. He heartily, hospitably entertained them, took care of them, making sure that they had everything that they needed. And it just so happened that while he's there, again, you can picture the conversation happening and, and Paul asking questions or somebody talking or somebody coming to Paul. It's like, hey, did you know that this guy's dad is sick? He has a fever and dysentery. And Paul, being who he is, going, hey, you mind if I go pray for the guy? And so I love the fact that even in all of this that's going on, Paul is still being used by the Lord to go and touch this man's father. And once the Lord touched that guy, all the islands said, hey, there's a healer over here. There's someone, again, they're still probably thinking, yeah, he says he's not a God. He's a God. <laughs> that guy's healing everybody, man. We're bringing anybody and everybody to him, and he is just touching them, man. It must have been one of those crazy healing services from TV, right? <laughs> no, it probably was not. Because I don't think Paul was ever a show-off. The Lord was using him in a powerful way. And in a humble way, I truly believe, in a confident way, praying in the name of Jesus that people would be healed. And so Paul and the party remained in Malta for three months. Not maybe at the guy's house, but they, I'm sure they took care of them. And for three months, they took care of these guys, thanks to Paul. They were treated graciously, and when they were ready to leave, these guys just poured into these guys. Again, you can imagine the gratitude of all those people, those 276 people. They had lost everything on their ship. Nothing was saved except themselves. That's it. And yet, when they board another ship, when they're ready to to set sail once again, it tells us that they provided such things as were necessary. Everything that they needed, they gave to him. And I'm sure, again, it was the gratitude that they had for, for how the Lord used Paul in their life. I could guarantee you Paul shared Jesus with all of them, as many as he possibly could. And people were now turning in, in, a, in a way that they're like, man, they thought they were kind before. Man, they were kinder even still at the end here and just pouring into them. Verse 11. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers. 
which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled around and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew. And the next day, we came to Putioli. Putioli. It's funny, one guy, a brother tells me, every time you go through a word, you always finish it with a question. It's like, yeah, because I'm not that confident. Putioli, verse 14. There the south, no, there the, there, okay, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went towards Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as a PI, a PI, a PI, forum and three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldiers who guarded him. Since the crew and the passengers left Crete in about early to mid-October and were in the storm for two weeks, three months in Malta, they, they, they started heading off. So when they started heading off, it must have been somewhere around February or March. So, so the timeline now is, is things are settling down. It was better for them to set sail. And he says that we sailed in an Alexandrian ship. Again, we saw that last week. This ship had been docked there, probably left earlier, didn't catch the storm that these cats had, had caught, but they had been there and they had docked there on this island for probably about three months as well. And it was also an Alexandrian ship. It was from that origin. And, and so it was probably a grain ship as we, as we learned last week. So it was a large ship that had spent the winter there. And so whether all 276 people that had been shipwreck boarded this Alexandrian ship or not, we don't know. But we do know that Julius, his guards, and the prisoners did. Now, why Paul, or not Paul, but Luke, would give us such detail about the ship, we don't know. But again, he's into details. We're getting a lot of details here. It's interesting because he says, we boarded a ship whose figurehead... The thing up in the front was the twin brothers. Now, myth, uh, Greek mythology says that these twin brothers were Castrus and Pollock, and they were the twin sons of Zeus and Leda. And these supposedly were revered because they were protectors of men on the sea. Too bad that other ship didn't have it. But many ship of the day apparently bore the image of, of the twin brothers here as a plea for safety. And again, mythology and, and all of that said that if 
they saw their constellation, which was Gemini, during any kind of a storm, that it was an omen for them for good luck. So these guys, again, however that works, they had, they had gotten there safely, they had boarded, or they had docked there for three months, but now they're starting to take off. And it's quite possible that Luke includes all these details to kind of give us a contrast of the superstitions that are going on in the people of Malta, of Rome, Greece, Egypt, in contrast with Christianity. See, they trusted in all those kinds of things, all these mythologies. We trust in the Lord, regardless. Regardless if it goes good or it goes bad, we still trust in the Lord. And so maybe, possibly, perhaps, he gives us all this detail so we can say, we can't be superstitious like, like we used to be or like the people still are. We trust in the Lord God, no matter what happens in our life. And so it says that they took off and they landed at Syracuse and we stayed there for three days. Again, Luke, the writer, continues to give us detail as this journey continues. And so they left the island of Malta. From Malta to Syracuse, they were going, that, uh, which was on the, the southeast side of Sicily, Syracuse. It was about an 80-mile journey from Malta to Syracuse. <clears throat> it would be another 70 miles to Rigium, today's Riggio, or something like that, which is on the toe of Italy. So now they're getting a little closer. They're inching their way towards Rome. And so they've landed at the toe of Italy. And when they were there, it says, now the south wind began to blow. And this was exactly what, needed, what they needed to continue on this voyage. Notice Paul is not saying a word now. He's not going, hey guys, let's not do this. He has a peace. He knows God is already with them. He's already going before him. I'm sure if there was any kind of angst in his heart, he probably would have shared it. We hear nothing of it. So the south wind, they're boarding. I'm sure some of the people are going, it's a south wind, Paul. It's like, we're good. We're good. All aboard. Ship ahoy. Yeah, let's go for it. You know, van voyage, as the great Bugs Bunny would say. <clears throat> and so from there, they, they, they sailed on the south wind that was pushing them, basically, and they set sail for about 180 miles due north to Putioli. Putioli. It's today's Pozzolia. <laughs> you got to go, you're not Italian, are you? <laughs> it's like, no, I'm not. I'm not Italian by any stretch of the imagination. I love Italian food, though. Puzuli. Anybody know how to pronounce that? Nobody? Help, help. Okay, let's just forget it. And so once they had landed in this place that starts with the P, they are only, get this, 152 miles south of Rome. What a journey. But from here on out, they will be going by land. They, 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 they've left the ship behind good riddance. You almost don't want to go on a cruise after this, these two chapters. But be that as it may, they are now on land. They're, Paul is very close to his destination. And at this place, Butuoli, 
Paul and his companions, along, along with Julius and the other prisoners and guards, found some brothers, it says, some Christian brothers, and they urged these guys, these believers, to stay with them for the rest of the week, and Julius consented. The centurion knew that Paul had saved their lives. And so you can understand. I'm sure he's, this guy Julius is going, man, this guy's, there's something different about this guy. I've made these trips before. Never have I met a man like this. And so Julius is allowing these things to happen, and perhaps I'm just speculating that maybe by now Julius is going, so what's up with this whole Christianity thing? Christianity thing. You would hope that at least that's going on. We don't know for sure, but maybe he's interested. But I think this is significant, the, the fact that they land in this place. They make land there in Italy uh, towards the, the bottom there, the Tuoli. And it's significant because it, it shows us that the gospel has already spread to Rome, but from Rome even. And it's come down 152 miles to this Italian seaport city. No doubt a church had been planted in Rome by the Jewish Romans who, who had been there at Pentecost in chapter 2 of Acts. Hearing Peter's sermon that many of them got saved, no doubt they've gone back. So it's been all these years, 20, almost 30 years later, that they are in Rome and the church has been established there. It says, and from there, in verse 15, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and three inns. And so when the Roman Christians, the Christians in Rome, heard about Paul getting there, and we don't know how they heard about it, but they heard about it, but they wanted to go down and meet with Paul and accompany him back up to Rome. And so all these guys travel as far as Appii Forum or the Forum of Appius, and it was a, a small town, a market town, about 43 miles south of Rome. Which means that Paul and them have now traveled on land northward for about 109 miles. And so they meet up in this small little place. And Paul and his companions, they continue from there another 10 miles north of that to three inns or the three taverns. <laughs> I don't know if they went in there or not. I'm not saying anything. But now they're only 33 miles from Rome. And it seems that others must have come to meet them as well, to join with them. And it tells us, and when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. And when Paul saw them, at last, God was bringing Paul to Rome. And so they all proceeded down the Appian Way, which is also called the Queen of the Long Roads, to the city that led to the city of Rome. And I'm sure Paul can just taste it. I'm almost there. And maybe he had a map. Maybe they were telling him, hey, we, we only traveled you know, this long. 
And he's going, man, Lord, I'm almost there. And the welcome of fellowship among the brethren there. He had never met these guys before. And yet, they uplifted his soul. And Paul was greatly encouraged. And I find it fascinating because this is what happens when you meet brothers and sisters from other lands even. You might not speak the language that well. But something happens because you have Jesus in common. And there's this sweetness about it. There's this fellowship that begins to occur. That all of a sudden, you might have been cast down, but now your soul is lifted. You are encouraged. That you're not the only one doing this wherever you're at. That God has other people. And he's bringing them. And I think it's such a welcome for Paul. Because he's having this fellowship with these saints that he has never met. Again, back in the day, he was trying to stop all of this. And now it has reached all the way to Rome, and he is being welcomed by them. Whether they knew his, his past or not, they just know this is the guy, man. This is the guy who's been preaching it up throughout all the regions, and now he's with us, and we're going to welcome him in and fellowship with him. And they began to bless one another. And in verse 16, now, when we came to Rome, <laughs> man, what a journey. This was the long-awaited promise that God had given to Paul. Over two and a half years ago, maybe closer to three years, that was the promise. Paul, you will make it to Rome. He sat in prison for two years. He's gone through all this craziness. He's, he's gone through all this, this shipwreck, these storms, all of this. He didn't, he didn't think that's the way he would make it to Rome, but he's at Rome and he could taste it. Through all the good, the bad, and the ugly, folks. <laughs> what me and you go through, God has promised eternity. And we think, man, this takes forever. Yes, it takes a lifetime, our lifetime. But he has promised that we will get there. We have a living hope. And it does not fade away. And it's reserved in heaven for you and me. By the power of God, he keeps that place for you and I. And we might go through all the crazy storms, through all the messiness of this life, but we get there eventually. We get to, to the promise that God has given to us because of who Jesus Christ is and what he did on the cross that we get to be in heaven with him forever. Perhaps all the thanksgiving and encouragement that Paul was doing just before getting to Rome was because he could taste the sweetness of the promise of God. It was now coming to pass. And now he's in Rome. <laughs> I wonder if he gets there he's like, now what? <laughs> the situation that happens here. It's funny because it almost stands my heart. <laughs> he makes it there. And the centurion, Julius, now delivers him. To the captain of the guard. 
He hands Paul over. And I could guarantee you, Julian was never the same after that. It doesn't tell us what happened to him. It's hard not to think that he got this closeness with Paul. Again, maybe, maybe not. But it's hard for me not to think that. That when he was telling Paul, okay, Paul, we're, we're, we're exchanging you, that there's this look and this embrace. Thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I don't think that guy was ever the same. He couldn't be. And hopefully people, when they meet up with us, they're never the same. Not because of you, but because of who Jesus is in you. It's sad if people are going, I don't want anything to do with that guy's God. I don't think Julian said that. And I pray that people would never say that about you and I. But if anything, going, I might not be a Christian like them, but I like the way they live. The, the, the example, and that's who Paul was. He was an example. You see, he was such a trusted prisoner that when he gets there, it tells us that he was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldiers who guarded him. In verse 30, it tells us that he had a rented house. <laughs> oh, he still had guards with him, but hey, nonetheless. He, he, he was a respected man because of that. In verse 17, it says, And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people and the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem to the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause to put me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had anything, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called you to see you and speak with you because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, We neither receive letters from Judea uh, concerning you, nor have, we, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoke any evil of you. That's strange. Huh. Verse 22. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it, has, it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed, a, appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly, solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some of them, and some were persuaded by, by the things which were spoken, and, other, and some disbelieved. 
So after three days of kind of settling in to his new digs there, Paul's greatest concern in getting to Rome was to witness to the Jews in Rome. And so after getting together, he, he presents his case and then he starts making his case to those who were there. And after laying it all out, <laughs> Paul made it clear that his appeal to Caesar was not because, because he had done anything wrong and he didn't want them to misinterpret what he was saying. He wasn't indicting his nation. Actually, he was a prisoner on behalf of his nation, so to speak, because of the hope of Israel. You see, the hope of Israel was more than the resurrection. It meant fulfillment of the Old Testament promise to Israel. You see, Paul firmly believed that Jesus was the Messiah of Israel and that he had come, that he had paid the price, he had, he had suffered, he had died, he had resurrection, and now Israel has received its, its, its Messiah. And, and, and that someday he would return and establish himself as the king of Israel and the Lord of all the nations. And so he, he sets this all out from this time to this time, lays it all out, and they go, huh, we haven't received anything. And I'm going, really? In my notes I put, really? How is it that you haven't received anything? These morons, excuse me, but these morons from Jerusalem have been wanting this guy dead. How is it that they didn't send anything in there? Because they knew they had nothing on this guy. And yet they were trying to make life miserable for him. And if they could have killed them a long time ago, they would have been okay with it. But because they never got their way, they never even sent letters up to Rome to say, I know he's appealed to Caesar. Let's, let's send our case before him so that when he gets there, he could be killed on the spot if possible. They never did that. Again, we have seen time and time again that people are going, this guy's innocent. This guy's innocent. I don't even know why this guy's before us. But they received nothing. But they had heard about this sect, <laughs> this Christian sect. It's like, really? How much have you heard? You, ne you never heard about Paul? And so when he got them together on that appointed day, Paul spent from morning to evening explaining to them, sharing with them, revealing to them who the Christ is in and through the law of Moses and the prophets. In other words, through the OT. <laughs> he's, he's saying, this is what this means, Jews of Rome. See, Paul had spent his whole ministry dialoguing like this all the way through his whole ministry in synagogue after synagogue after synagogue. And now he has the opportunity to meet with the leading Jews of Rome where he's going, right on, man. Finally got here. I get to talk to these guys. And, and all these guys are from many different synagogues. They all come to him and he explains all this. And what's the results? Same as always. Some were persuaded and some were not. Again, I think oftentimes we, we have the idea every time we speak, everybody gets saved. No, they don't. There's still a lot of people going to hell. 
because they refuse the gospel. Again, it would be great if everybody was persuaded, but they're not. And so again, our job is to share the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit's job to touch people. Doesn't force any of them, even though they've heard all the truth. That's what happens in this case. Verse 25. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah, the prophet, to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of these people have grown dull and their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes are, they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so, it shall, so I shall heal them. Therefore, in verse 28, let it be known, Paul is speaking, to you that salvation, that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. So when these leaders, who should have known, should, should have understood the scriptures that he was sharing with them because they all knew the scriptures. When they left, they left arguing among themselves. But Paul had faithfully given them what they needed to hear. He was faithful to witness to them what he knew. He wasn't on trial, but he stood there as a witness of Jesus Christ. This is who he is. And I will prove it to you through the scriptures, through the law of Moses and through the prophets. And he gave it all to them. And because they refused it, because they rejected it, he he announces to them, he tells them that that he would turn to the Gentiles. And again, all this arguing, all this disagreement uh, among these guys shows us truly that they were not open to the good news, to the gospel. And I love the fact that, that, that with the prophetic insight from the Holy Spirit, Paul applies the words of, of Isaiah, which happened to be in chapter 6. He, he attributes that, all of that, to the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit doing the work back then in Isaiah's day, as he was doing that day. And Paul was sharing it with those of the day, his contemporaries, if you will. And because of their obstinance, their stubbornness, their determined refusal to believe, The result was calloused hearts, deafened ears, and spiritually blinded eyes. It had happened to Israel both in Isaiah's day and in Paul's day. And it happens to today. And I love the fact that, again, as he attributes all of this to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was working in Isaiah's day as he was working in Paul's day, as he's working today, and yet people still refuse. 
And then we get bummed out. And I get it, man, because I wish everybody would be saved. But that's God's already, that's his wish already. He wishes that all would come to repentance. He wishes that all have eternal life. But you see, it's one thing to listen, and it's quite another thing to hear what's being said. There's a big difference between seeing and perceiving. If anyone should have possessed this type of understanding, it should have been these religious leaders. And yet their hearts were dull and hard. And from Jerusalem to Rome, most of the Jews, as we've seen through the book of Acts, have rejected the gospel. And city after city, the message of the gospel was directed towards the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Again, he came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. And he turned to the, to, to the Gentiles. Now that he's in this capital city of the Roman world, the same phenomenon has happened. <laughs> the same occurrence. But their unbelief did not put an end to Paul's ministry of the gospel. You would have thought, man, I've gotten to the crescendo. I've gotten to where I'm supposed to be. And they've rejected it. I'm done. Nope. <laughs> he says, therefore, let it be known. He announces to them that the gospel, that, that most of the Jews have rejected, was now going to be proclaimed to the Gentiles. And he says, and they will hear it. And they will continue to be turned towards the Gentiles till the fullness of the Gentiles comes. When, when, when the very last Gentile is saved, right? And God's purpose is complete for the church. It continues to this day. You see, that's one of the major themes of the book of Acts and how the gospel moved from Jew to the, uh, to the Gentiles. It's moved from, from Jerusalem to Rome. It's moved from Rome to Philan. <laughs> Today, it continues to move on. Our work doesn't stop. It continues until Jesus is done when he comes back for his church. You see, without the book of Acts, we would turn from, in, in the New Testament, we would turn from the Gospel of John to the book of Romans, and we would probably ask, how in the world did it ever get to Rome? <laughs> Well, it's because of the book of Acts. It gives us a history. These last two verses as we close up, it says, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Paul kept an open house. Whoever comes in, comes in, man. I will share the gospel with them. And he shared the kingdom of heaven. Not his own ministry, not Paul's ministry, but the kingdom of heaven. And that's who, who we are. We don't preach Calvary Chapel. We preach the kingdom of heaven, whether people ever come here or not. That's what we get to do. And you get to go out there and do that. We get to do that. He was chained to a guard. And they were relieved every six, six hours, right? And they were forced to listen to all of this. <laughs> this is why Paul writes to the Philippians. 
And he says in Philippians 1, 12 to 14, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have, have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident in the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confidence, confident in my chains and are much more bold to speak without fear. At the end of Philippians, he says this, Philippians 4.22, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. <laughs> those cats are getting saved, man. <laughs> I love it. And so Paul, uh, uh, Luke, he, he ends the letter without telling us what happened in the trial. But we do know that Paul was released and he resumed his ministry after two years. And more than likely, he went to Spain to minister there. Because in Romans 15, 24, he had mentioned that he wanted to go to, to, to Spain. And he wrote to the Romans before this imprisonment. After his first missionary journey and during his second and third journey, Paul wrote Galatians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and Romans, all before he got to this point. During his first imprisonment, during these two years, between 60 and 62 AD, he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Before and or during his second imprisonment, in that time that he was away, from about 62, 63 to 66 A.D., Paul wrote 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. And in 66 A.D., Paul would die in prison, beheaded, killed. The book of Acts begins with Luke's second account of the ascension of Jesus Christ. And he finishes with Paul in Rome as a prisoner. And it covered a span of about 30 years from, from Acts 1. It took, it took us almost two years. But it spent 30 years for these guys. And what I find interesting is that Luke, the writer, he writes the, Luke, the, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, and he writes it to one man, Theophilus. It was only for him, but I love the fact that God saw it fit <laughs> to make it known to all of us. I know that the book of Acts kind of finishes abruptly, and I think it was meant, it was intended for that. It was meant to, to finish, because the story is ongoing. He doesn't give us the rest of the story, because we continue. We continue to this day. I always think, you know, we're going to finish Acts 2020. So we'll go into Acts 2021. Because the story continues, and it will continue until Jesus Christ comes back for His church. Amen? Amen? Father in heaven, we bless you and we thank you for our time in the book of Acts, Lord. What an amazing portion of Scripture, Lord. I pray, God, that you have encouraged the church here through the book of Acts. Lord, I pray that you would continue to lead us in your word, Lord God, as we head into Romans, Father. But I thank you. I'm so grateful for the book of Acts and how you positioned it right where it needed to be. And thank you, Lord, for birthing the church. Thank you that you're still working in the church today, Lord. Lord, here we are, your people. 
We want to be like Paul, Lord, wherever we go, that we would be an example of who you are, Lord, and that we would further the kingdom because you have called us to be part of the church, Lord. We bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, peeps, as we sing this last song.